Hello, I'm Zev Neuwirth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based, and humanistic system of health. The views I express on the podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, the topic we're going to discuss today is one that is affecting a significant percent of our population, causing a tremendous amount of avoidable pain and suffering. But sadly to say, it's not a topic that is discussed much in our legacy healthcare system. In fact, it makes me pretty sad to say that, that it's been sort of ignored by our healthcare system. The topic is women's health. And we are super fortunate and i am so glad to have a female entrepreneur on the program today someone who i know and respect someone who came actually from outside of the healthcare system but refused to ignore this problem now before i formally introduce our guest today i'm going to make a request of you if you find value in this podcast please share it with your colleagues and also rate it a number of listeners have already begun rating and sharing the podcast through LinkedIn and Twitter. And to those of you who have already begun, as well as to those of you who are going to do so, I greatly appreciate you taking a moment to spread the podcast and, and much more importantly than that, to spread the word on creating a new healthcare. So I'm so, so pleased to introduce our guest today, Joanna Strober. She is the founder and CEO of MIDI Health, that's M-I-D-I, M-I-D-I, MIDI Health, the only virtual care platform for women over 40 covered by insurance. Prior to creating MIDI Health, Joanna founded Kerbo Health, a digital therapeutic for childhood obesity that she grew to serve tens of thousands of adolescents worldwide, and she sold to Weight Watchers in 2018. Prior to following her passion for digital health, Joanna spent 15 years making investments in venture capital, private equity. She's also the co-author of Getting to 50-50, a best-selling book written to help parents thrive in the workforce after having children. Joanna received her BA in political science from the University of Pennsylvania. She holds a JD from the University of California, Los Angeles, where she was UCLA Law Review Editor. She is an amazing individual, someone that I've had the chance to interview at least once before, and so, so excited that she's working on women's health right now. Joanna, how are you today? I am great, thank you. And I'm Super excited to be here, in large part because I learn a lot through listening to your podcast. So it's a great honor to be here and get to talk to you. Oh, that's that's great. I didn't know that you listened. So, I do. Uh, I listen. I've learned wow. a lot from your podcasts. Wow. Thank you. So, Joanna, we haven't really had a chance to talk much. We've been corresponding through email in preparation for this interview. But I have to tell you, this is a topic, and I sincerely mean this, on a very, very personal level as well as professional. I think it is so, so important. If I... I had to list it. It's, it's one of the top three to five issues that I think are really underserved in our healthcare system. I've had friends, I've had family members go through this, and it seems like there's a lot of suffering here. And so before we get into a bit more about MIDI health and how it works and all that, really just want to ask you about the origin story. What made you think to start this company. I mean, I know you had been working on Kerbo, which was amazing in terms of childhood obesity. And that actually came from, I think, some personal situations that you were in and encountered. What, what about MIDI Health? Where, where did this come from? So I guess the best companies hopefully come from, you know, problems that you're trying to solve for yourself. And this was certainly one for me. In my mid 40s, I had stopped sleeping. And I was waking up pretty much every night around three o'clock in the morning, 
and not falling back asleep. And that was having pretty bad impacts on the rest of my life. You know, insomnia is not just insomnia. Once you're awake, then during the day, you're unable to function as well. So it was having a pretty big impact on my life. And I started trying to get care for it. And I was pretty interested and amazed how how lacking the system was in giving me the right type of care. When you go to a general practitioner, which is what I did, they said, oh, well, maybe this is anxiety. You should go get therapy. But I wasn't depressed. I was just not sleeping. And I also, they gave me sleeping pills, which obviously you don't want to take for a long period of time. It, it took me a really long time to get the right level of care. Eventually, I found an online doctor who specialized in hormones, and I had to pay a lot of money to have this appointment. But, you know, it's pretty remarkable. Two days after starting hormones, I was sleeping through the night, which I hadn't done for about a year and a half. So I started asking my friends about this, and it's a little bit like you mentioned at the beginning. It's like a dirty secret. No one is telling each other that that they're not sleeping through the night. Mm-hmm. And many women I talked to were talking about the impact that the lack of sleep or the night sweats or the anxiety attacks were having on their career. And this is just not something that was talked about at all. So my co-founder, actually at the beginning, we talked about the book that we wrote. My my co-founder is my co-editor from doing Getting to 50-50 that we wrote that came out in 2008. And since then, we've been looking for another big problem to solve together. So this became our COVID project. So we ended up spending about a year looking at the market trying to understand why women were not getting the right type of care, what's going on in the industry that means there's so few practitioners. I don't know if you know, there's only 500 NAMS certified practitioners of menopause for 57 million women. So this this is a big unsolved problem and it's a big puzzle. So we really spent most of COVID trying to solve the puzzle and that's really what what we tried to do with MIDI. Joanna, you mentioned there were only 500 certified practitioners in what exactly? NAMS, the National Association of Menopause Specialists. Got it. Okay. That's astounding. 500 for how many women? 57 million. (laughs) This is a big age category of women. Women between the age of 40 and 65. It's a 25-year period when women start suffering from challenges that are related to their hormones. So it's a big category of women. And essentially the healthcare system spends most of its resources on fertility. Most OBGYNs go to medical school to deliver babies, which makes sense. So there's not enough resources that get put to women post-reproductive years. So we have this big age category of women and there's a lot going on in their bodies related to their hormones. And there are just very few practitioners who are trained in treating them. Mm -hmm. And can I ask a question around that. So what about, you mentioned going to primary care and again, primary care doctors are not trained in this. They don't have the certification. A lot of them are men, so they probably don't relate to this. What was your experience, I guess, about OB-GYN? One would think, I think if, if you're not familiar with medical training, you would think that gynecologists get trained in this sort of field. So most OB-GYNs have very little training actually in menopause care. They have a few hours in medical school. It's not why they go to medical school and it is not the focus. The focus is on delivering babies. There's also a lot of factors involved in hormone care and it really requires expertise and understanding all those factors. 
And it's very hard for people to keep up with the research. So part of the challenge is that they don't have ongoing training to take care of these issues. Yeah, this is a significant problem in terms of both its severity and its impact and the so-called total addressable market. 57 million women and only 500 practitioners who are specialized in this area. If you don't mind, Joanna, I just want to read a couple of sentences you wrote to me because I've never heard it actually put this way, but it completely resonates with me. And I, I want to share something you wrote about this issue of equity. You wrote, quote, my friends, amazing, ambitious women going full speed ahead were getting derailed in their lives and careers. They were downsizing rather than upsizing because they felt worn out from dealing with these symptoms. Now, I realize this lack of care is an issue of equity. My whole career, I've been focused on equity for women and for parents. I saw that women could not reach their potential without access to greater health care at midlife. So I got curious and then I got angry. And with the help of my co-founders, I got moving. And that's the genesis of MIDI. End of quote. I just thought that so captured the essence of, of this. Any elaboration on that? So the research is actually really clear on this. They have done research of working women and found that 57% of them have had to take off time due to menopause symptoms, 18% for more than four weeks. Even more crazy is that 59% of women in this survey said they did not apply for promotions or raises because of their menopause symptoms. 25% said they had considered quitting their jobs because of menopause symptoms, and 10% had quit their jobs because of menopause symptoms. So this is, this is an issue of equity. We are losing women at the height of their career because of things that are treatable, but only by experts, and they have don't know where to go to get that expertise. I mean, I'll give you an example. I actually interviewed a CEO of a company. She was leading a venture-backed company. She stopped sleeping and was having anxiety attacks. She was thinking of leaving her company. And at some point, it took about nine months, and she was about to quit. And she finally found a practitioner who said, you know, this is probably related to your hormones. It's not that you're depressed. It's not that you can't keep doing this job. Let's try some other treatments. Within two weeks, she was functioning a way that she hadn't been functioning for over a year. And we've talked to a lot of people like this. I actually got a text this morning from a woman saying, thank you for Mitty. I haven't slept in two years and I'm finally sleeping. Women, when they go to their general practitioners are not getting the right care because they're not meeting with specialists who know women's bodies. So they're just, they're getting treated inappropriately and, and therefore not feeling better. Those statistics about the impact on women's work life and their careers are just astounding. You ran through them so quickly. I'm going to, I didn't even have a chance to write them down, but I will make note of them in, in the write-up I will of send this. Them. <laughs> Please do. It's just astounding. I actually never imagined or never realized how great an impact this has on women's lives. And you know, in their careers. And, and as you say, at the height of their careers, it is an issue of equity. And for a significant percentage of the population, again, nearly 60 million women who fall into this category, the symptoms. You mentioned sleep. What other symptoms are involved here that is causing this avoidable pain and suffering for women? Yeah. You know, when people talk about 
menopause, often the first thing that comes to mind is hot flashes. Women are actually willing to deal with hot flashes. <laughs> they might not be happy with them, but that's not the reason why they're primarily coming to us. They're really coming to us because of heart palpitations, because of anxiety, because of lack of sleep. Painful sex, quite honestly, is a big one. 50% of women are having very painful sex during this period of their life, and it's having a huge impact on their marriage. And they don't understand that it's directly related to the estrogen decrease in their body. Instead, they're blaming it on their lack of desire or you know, stress in their life. And they don't realize that there's a direct physical correlation between estrogen depletion and having painful sex. It is something that is completely treatable, easily treatable, and they don't know who to ask to get the right, to get the right treatments. But the other things that we hear, for example, women are going through depression and they're being given antidepressants when actually it's a hormone issue. And so antidepressants are not helping them, but um, they're taking antidepressants because they're not being offered the right products. Women are going to the emergency room at a shockingly high rate because they think they're having heart attacks when all they're having is heart palpitations that are also related to estrogen. Hmm. So there's a lot of things that women get mistreated for. Brain fog is a big one. People forget things, so they think they're getting early onset Alzheimer's. Hmm. But that It's not early onset Alzheimer's. It's simply brain fog related to, again, the decrease in estrogen and can be treated. So all these things, they come across as things that you're really scared about and they can derail you in lots of ways. But when you get to the emergency room, you very quickly figure out that no, you're not having a heart attack but then they still don't tell you what the right treatment is because there's such a lack of training in this. So it really is about trained practitioners and having many more people understand how to treat these things and how to look at a woman first. When a woman starts having anxiety and they're in this age category in their 40s, the first thing you should be asking about is hormones, not the last thing. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with waking up in the middle of the night. For all these things, we need to look at you need to look at a woman first as here's what's going on in their body, maybe do some blood tests, understand this, and then treat it as something that's related to that rather than, you know, something that might be going on if they were not a female in this age category. I want to really ask you now more about MIDI, but before we jump into that, and I don't want to get too clinical about this, but one fact that might be helpful here or one question to answer is what about the, again, what you said makes so much sense in terms of the women getting the wrong types of treatment and inappropriate treatment and all the avoidable costs involved and of course all the avoidable pain and suffering for them as well as medical costs and and, and not getting the right treatment they need in terms of hormone treatment there has been a lot over the past few years about some of the negative consequences of, of women taking hormones could you just for a moment speak to that yes so there was a study done the women's health initiative that indicated that there could be an increased risk in breast cancer for some women taking hormones. That study has been debunked. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of research that showed that the study was misinterpreted, not understood correctly. And actually a big report just came out recently saying that if you're not taking hormones because of breast cancer, it's the wrong thing to do. That actually 
women, because they're not taking hormones, they're hurting their bones, they're hurting their heart, they're hurting their brains. There's a lot of benefits to hormones that far outweigh the risks significantly. And actually they've even found that those risks that they were worried about are essentially were misunderstood. And it actually has to do with the population of the women in the study. It turns out the study was actually done primarily on women who are over 10 years post-menopause. And so they, they didn't look at women in the first 10 years of menopause. So women in the first 10 years of menopause are absolutely eligible and probably 80 to 90% of them should be taking hormones. Mm. So according to many researchers that we work with, and we have an advisory board of a lot of pretty brilliant researchers who advise us on this, that study has been responsible, they think, for hundreds of thousands of deaths of women who have been deprived of, of a really good treatment for them because they uh, because of a misunderstanding. Wow. As I hear you speak, and I have to tell you, when I was a younger physician, I remember talking to my mother about this at the time, and she was going through menopause. And in fact, she started to talk about the studies that showed the dangers of taking hormone therapy, despite the fact, and again, I hadn't really thought about this in, in a while, but she was having terrible, terrible menopausal symptoms. And in terms of mood and energy and insomnia, yeah. every aspect of her life and really suffering. And when we talked about it, she said, listen, I, I don't want to get cancer. And, and I think she was heavily influenced by some of that early research, which we now see is actually, as you point out, is being disproven. And that research was probably, as you're saying, the, the researchers are pointing out to you that responsible for, for so much pain and suffering and, and loss of life. And so I think it's an important message because I suspect that still a vast majority of the public is not aware that hormone therapy in menopausal women early on is safe. So... And here's what's really important. Number one, it is safe for most women. You need to go to a practitioner who knows if it's safe for you. Mm. And the reason I'm pointing this out is that many doctors are unwilling to prescribe it because they don't know all the intricacies of what makes it safe for that person. So instead, they just don't prescribe it because they don't know the details. So it took us about a year to create the protocols that we have created to essentially look at every woman individually. Are hormones appropriate for you? Do you have risk factors that would eliminate you? Is there a reason why you should not take them? There are some women who should not take hormones and we have other solutions that we're able to provide them that are also evidence-based. But you need to go to a practitioner who knows the answers. And so a lot of doctors, as I'm saying, they just don't have enough data to to know if it's appropriate for you. So that's why they don't prescribe it because they don't have they don't have the data. So what we had to do was compile the data. So we spent a year interviewing researchers and actually this was led by Dr. Mindy Goldman at UCSF. And she interviewed you know 20 people around the country to make sure we had all of the data in our protocols that explained who is eligible for, for mm -hmm. hormones and for different solutions. Are you eligible for hormones for your osteoporosis. It actually turns out that hormones could be a great option for women who have osteoporosis. So that's another place where hormones can make a huge difference, making sure that you are, you don't have any of the other risk factors that you need to, that you need to understand. Mm -hmm. But yes, I wish your mother had been able to go to an expert and they could probably could have told her that she would have been fine and it would have really helped her and changed her quality of life. 
Well, this was pre-MIDI. And so let's let's talk about MIDI. And again, I hope you don't mind, but in our correspondence, you wrote such a you're such a great writer. And I just want to read the, a couple of sentences here and, and and then have you pick up on it. But there were a couple of points you made, which I think are so, so profound and important about the use of telehealth and about the issue of listening. So I, I just want to kind of point them out and then let you take us on the trip of what, what MIDI does and how it works and and, and what, what the experience might be like for a woman who signs up for MIDI. So you wrote this, MIDI is training practitioners to offer high quality care on telehealth. There are not enough trained practitioners, so we both train nurse practitioners and then enable them to conduct visits via telehealth, 30 minute visits, enough time to listen. And then we iterate on the care, working with women to help them feel better. This type of care is much better when provided on telehealth rather than in person, enables practitioners to focus on listening rather than worrying about the physical space and its limitations. And then we refer to specialists or in-person care when needed. And so the points that really struck me are this issue of why is telehealth better? And you make such a point about the issue of listening. So as you walk through the MIDI experience and the MIDI service, just would love you to elaborate on those two points. Great. So what we have done at MIDI is we have developed a telehealth platform that enables women to book a visit with us, with one of our trained experts. All the visits are online. Insurance pays for that visit. So it is a covered benefit. It's not something that you have to pay cash for. You come and you first fill out a pretty long assessment for us. We ask you a lot of questions. We wanna know about your family health. We wanna know about your mental health. We wanna know what symptoms you're experiencing. And then we'll actually get pretty deep into some of those symptoms, understanding how long have you not been sleeping for? What are the triggers that seem to be waking you up at night to really get deep into what's going on? By the time you come to that visit, our practitioner will have read all of all of this information and actually, the protocol will also pop up for the practitioner so they know exactly what questions to ask and make sure that they're they're covering all the bases. So you come, the practitioner is able to listen to you. I will say one thing that we find out is that a lot of the a lot of the symptoms that women come saying they have are not the ones they actually want to talk about at the visit. <laughs> so listening is key here. Maybe someone is saying they're not sleeping, but really what's happening is they're waking up with night sweats and they're not able to fall back asleep. Well, that's a different challenge. So we need to really understand what's going on in their bodies. And that takes listening. It doesn't actually take looking at your body at all. It takes looking at your facial expressions and understanding the emotional things that are going on so you can really get into it. it so we've actually had the opportunity to have therapists who are also training our nurse practitioners on deep listening skills which is key to the success of our visits. But I would say what I'm most proud of is when people email me saying, this is the first person who listened to me. This is the first person who took the time to understand what I'm really feeling like. And I think one of the powers of telehealth is that it's a different relationship when you're talking to someone like this than it is when you go to a doctor's office and you sit on the table and you take off your shirt. You don't really feel like talking about these things at that point. You just want the visit to be over. And so I actually think telehealth is the perfect platform for talking about and treating these types of issues because the relationship between the doctor and the patient is different than it would be in a hospital room. So just to finish how MIDI works, I we, after your visit, we will order you blood tests if appropriate. Many people might have a hormone test. You don't need a hormone test. We'll also maybe check your cholesterol. 
We're also going to make sure that you're having your mammogram. And if you need a DEXA scan, we're going to prescribe a DEXA scan for you. We are going to really ask also about some other preventive care things. If you had a colonoscopy, we need to understand a lot about your health before we give you the, the treatments. We will then give you a prescription for either a, um, a hormone or a non-hormonal medication or supplement, depending on what's appropriate and what the patient wants. And then we titrate, and that is really important. Mm -hmm. If you know anything about hormone therapy, you would know that they were there are pills, there are creams, there are patches, there's a lot of different options. And it actually takes a while to get the dosing correct and to find the option that works for you. So we will give you one, one initial treatment and then we'll book a visit in a month and you'll come back and you'll tell us how you're feeling and we'll continue titrating with you until you feel better and until the symptoms are under control. And for most women, we're finding that takes two to three visits and then they can come back to us annually. That's really sounds uh, like an amazing clinical care model and, and an amazing patient experience. What I find amazing too, and, and really respect is all the months and months of research that you and Dr. Goldman, I, it sounds like, and she coordinated this with other researchers and clinicians in terms of the evidence-based medicine, state of the art, and then putting that into protocols so that these nurse practitioners are following state of the art. I'm assuming Dr. Goldman is constantly updating this. Yep. That That is so, I think that needs to be called out because that is not the way most of healthcare is. Doctors and practitioners aren't following that kind of rigorous evidence-based state-of-the-art protocols. And I, I think that is a, that's a reframe. That's a, that's a real, real advantage and a, a real benefit to your patients. So I just, I just want to applaud you for that. And just curious about that. I mean, how many months did y'all do the research before you created the protocols? It took about nine months to just start with the first eight protocols that we have. Hmm. And, and we're, create, we're, we're in the process of creating more. We also, by the way, work with a naturopath. So as I mentioned, um, Dr. Mindy Goldman is a, she's an OBGYN. She also specializes in survivorship. So women who had breast cancer or at high risk for breast cancer. And she created a practice at UCSF that she's replicating for us that basically looks at all of these factors in, in treating women. And one of the things that's most important is if you do have breast cancer, then you probably are not eligible for hormone ter therapy. So she has been working with naturopaths to come up with other solutions for women who had cancer who need treatment. So we worked with naturopaths, and so we're able to actually give you both hormone treatments and naturopathic treatments, depending on what's what's appropriate for you. Yeah. But then she's also the expert, you know, and she's training all of our people. If you have BRCA, can you take hormone therapy? If you had a hysterectomy, can you take hormone therapy? I mean, there's a bunch of mm -hmm. there's a bunch of factors that go into all this that you really need to understand. And so she does, she's not only created our protocols, but she's training our practitioners. And then she's also on Slack to answer their questions. So hmm. when patients come in, there are always going to be questions, particularly related to cancer, but related to other issues too, where they might not know the answer. And then they can get on Slack and ask her and we can get an answer to them. So your, your nurse practitioners who are seeing your patients have immediate access to this renowned expert and all of the up-to-date research that is at her fingertips. And not just her, right? We have other experts on, online as well. So we have someone who's an expert in osteoporosis online. We have someone who's expert in, mo in mental health online. That's exactly right. So then they can just get on Slack. They can, mm -hmm. they can ask questions and make sure that we really are getting the best care to our patients. 
Right. And Slack is a, for those, I'm not sure if everyone knows what Slack is. You want to? Oh, it's just an online, it's an online question system. It's just a very, very efficient um, real-time question and answer system that people can use. So that way, you know, during a visit, if something comes up, they don't know the answer to, they don't have to wait until after the visit. They can just mm -hmm. ask the question and get an answer. Again, just got to point this out in, in a traditional medical setting, what would likely happen is perhaps the doctor would go or, or provider would go online and try to look something up, which takes quite a bit of time. Typically, you're right, it would happen after the visit or, or more likely what would happen would be a referral, which would take weeks to months, right. either to an expert in osteoporosis or an oncologist. And so that turnaround time could be months and months, whereas with that closed loop feedback in the office with the expert, you're talking about a few minutes rather than a few months. And so just want to call that out. You, know, you listen to the podcast. I, I don't know if you've read the book I wrote on reframing healthcare, but I think for me, one of the really, really important points here, and I have this debate often with my colleagues uh, across the country, this notion of, they said to me, Zev, why, why do we have to do this thing, the segmentation and customization of care? Why can't the general practitioner kind of be all and do all from women's health to senior care to sports medicine? It's just, you know, we got trained in all of that. We can do all of that. And my argument has been, and I published this three years ago, this notion that every other industry has already figured this out a long time ago. And we even see this in medicine. You wouldn't want a general surgeon doing your brain surgery, or you wouldn't want a colorectal surgeon doing your lung surgery. I mean, specialization is really important and customization of care is important. And I think MIDI for me is just a phenomenal example of how care can be so much better in so many ways in terms of both outcomes and experience with this sort of segmentation and customization. And I, I just see you as just such a great example of the benefit of that. I'm just curious if you agree or what do you think about that? I think, I mean, telehealth is giving us a great opportunity here, right? So the now you can go online and you can book a visit with someone who truly understands the specific issues that you are managing. And if you are a woman who is 45 and not sleeping or if you are 75 and wondering what's going on with your bones and want to make sure you can get a DEXA scan and you don't want to wait months before you can get into your general practitioner, before you can get the DEXA scan, before you can get an answer there, I think that you know being able to use telehealth to do specific segmented care is great. And then you can refer into the hospital for things that are important. We're, we're referring all the time, right? We're referring for the mammograms and the DEXA scans. We're referring for blood tests. We're referring for endometrial biopsies and ultrasounds. There's a lot of things that are required for in-person and we can basically be the front door and then refer for in-person things. And then look, we are also diagnosing a lot. Our women are getting mammograms and they're finding out mm. that they have breast cancer. Women are, we are diagnosing a lot of osteoporosis. So, so we, we want to partner with hospital systems because we'll be sending a lot of patients to them. We, we don't view it as competitive. Instead, we, we think our goal is to be this initial screen, to do this initial care, and then refer into the hospital systems for really what they do best, which is the more specialized care or the services. Mm -hmm. Let me ask more about that. So how do you partner with practitioners or, or outside of MIDI or hospital systems? How does that work? So right now we're direct to consumer, but we believe the best the best opportunity for us is to partner with hospital systems to enable them to offer this type of care. If you look at most 
university, particularly systems, but really all systems, they usually have a six to nine month wait to work with the menopause specialist. The reason is that they don't get compensated enough for those visits to make it worth expanding their practice. So I've come to view it as a box problem. Then in every large hospital system, they have X number of boxes. That box needs to make X amount of money and they're not gonna make that amount of money with 30 minute visits talking to women about these issues. So they don't, they just don't offer more of it. No matter how long the waiting list is, in all these hospitals I talk to, they just close the waiting list. They don't offer more care, they just stop offering the care. So what we wanna do is partner with systems. We can take referrals from general practitioners, referrals from OBGYNs, referrals from neurologists. Women are experiencing migraines that are actually related to their menopause. They're not, the, the migraines are not related to something that the neurologists are trained to deal with. They're also orthopedic surgeons refer us people because they have women come in and they have stress fractures and the orthopedic surgeon is not trained to deal with their osteoporosis. They just know that there's a problem. So what we want to do is have referral systems with hospital systems. They refer to us for these types of things that we are expert in. And then we refer back for the all of the in-person care that is that is necessary. And what we found is that women don't necessarily want to leave their hospital system. They want to stay in their system. They just want to get this type of care. And so we can also really improve a system's NPS scores by keeping the women in the system and offering them really high quality care without having to leave and either go to a concierge doctor or go to another system. Thank you. How long has MIDI been seeing patients? We started seeing patients nine months ago. And you may not be able to share this, but do you have an approximate number of how many patients you've seen? A lot of patients. I'm not going to share the number, but we've been seeing a lot of patients. We started seeing patients in November, and then we've been working on insurance contracts. We finally got insurance contracts in California in May. Mm -hmm. And um, so now, and we should have insurance contracts in 30 states by the end of this year. That's great to hear. Thank you. And I know it's early on, but are you collecting results, outcomes? Yes. Say more about that. So we are tracking a lot of data. We are um, we are tracking every time you come back, we have an entirely validated um, scoring system that we're using. So first we know all of your symptoms. Then we know what your top priority symptoms are. Then we tie that into the treatments that you are using. And then we follow up every time you come in to check your you know, what, what's feeling better and what's not. So we actually are hopefully going to soon be able to really tie all this together. We are starting to, but uh, we will have the best database of outcomes around because there really is no data tracking on this, but we're tracking hot flashes, painful sex, you know, sleep, anxiety, migraines, all those things. We're tracking everything with, with validated standards. So we can, we'll, we will really have data to show not just specifically are women feeling better, but, you know, based on what level of hormone, for example, are they feeling better based on which supplement they're enabling them to feel better. So we are, we are excited about the data that we're collecting and um, we hope to be able to help other people with this, you know, we want to make this data public so that other people can do the same type of care that we are. Yeah, no, this is fantastic. I'm going to just be completely transparent here. I've, I've already begun to talk about the folks I work with about MIDI. And so super excited. I think it's a huge problem. 
million women who are suffering without a good solution out there. And so I think what you're doing is fantastic. It seems to me as I've been thinking about this area and doing a little bit of reading and that you're part of a, a larger movement. I think MIDI is part of a movement of women's health segmented customized clinics, some of them brick and mortars, a lot of them, like you say, virtual or tele, or, and some of them hybrid. I'm sure you've looked at the market and at this new emerging segment of the market. How many companies are out there or emerging that are focused in this particular space? I mean, I know there's a lot of, of work going on in fertility and pregnancy in the virtual digital space. And let's put that aside, as you said before, really focusing on the women 45 to 65 in that range and dealing with the midlife issues. Do you feel comfortable sort of talking about that and, and sharing with us? I mean, is this a, a small movement? Is, is this just a trickle of companies or, or is this becoming something that is going to be a category of healthcare? I absolutely think it's going to be a category of healthcare. The first companies in this space were really selling hormones. I, I would say they're more like Hims or Rose, and they are selling hormones for a marked up price. Mm -hmm. Now, the truth is most women don't have access to hormones. So giving them access is actually a big deal. So I don't want to um, discount the fact that giving many women will have gone to two or three doctors. They have refused to prescribe them the hormones. So then they go to one of those companies and the, those companies make money by charging a lot for those, for those hormones. We wanted to really look at this from a different place. We really wanted to create a care company, not a product company. So our priority is the care and making sure that someone listens to you, talks to you, understands your symptoms, and if appropriate, prescribes you hormones. But we think those hormones should be covered by your insurance. So our goal is democratizing access to this great care. We don't want to charge you a lot of extra money for a hormone that actually your insurance will only charge you $10 a month for. So our, we think of ourselves as different than most of the other companies that are out there now, but I believe this I believe a lot in this space, and I believe there will be a lot of other companies that will enter the market because it really is a huge opportunity and mm -hmm. and it's massively underserved. So I think it would be great to have more companies also serving this this group of women. We certainly can't serve all of them. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Is there a major lesson you've learned or discovered in this journey so far that you could share with others who are focused on innovation and transformation of care? So a lot of the first generation digital health companies outsourced their care teams and they were able to, to scale quickly through outsourced care, care teams. Hmm. We have found that is not the case for someone like us. When we, we need to train our practitioners, we need to engage with them. We need to monitor them. It is not the case that they can just plug in and plug out. So I actually think the next generation of companies like ours are going to, we actually joke that we're like the four seasons, right? When you go to the four seasons, you know that everyone is very well-trained in customer service and taking care of their guests. And we want to have that high level of care and, and you can't outsource that. Mm -hmm. So I actually think that, that companies that want to provide high quality care are going to have to have their own teams of trained practitioners, which is different than the first generation of digital health companies. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we are learning that and we're learning 
how to hire great people to work for us who share our values. And, and that's a great opportunity for us to work with really strong practitioners who also care deeply about women's health. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it's hard to do that if you're not focused, if you're all over the place and providing care in multiple different specialties and areas, it's much, much easier to do that if you're focused and you have that brand and you can, like you say, really standardize the care and, and get that level of quality and customer service, if you will. If you were going to give a critical piece of advice or recommendation to hospital system leaders, what would it be? You can't do everything. And instead of tr deciding that, therefore, you're not going to do a lot of things, I do think that there's an opportunity to partner with best-in-class digital health companies. Don't view them as a threat. Just view them as a partnership opportunity. Those companies can't do what hospital systems do great. And so there is a really strong opportunity for, part for hospital systems to partner with digital health companies. The digital health companies can provide some level of care. And then the hospitals can do what, what they're great at. And, and I, think, I think there's a really good partnership here. And I think if the hospital system stopped viewing digital health companies as competitive, but rather than partners, everyone will benefit. That's fantastic. Joanna, I know I've got to let you go. We're reaching the top of the hour. I just want to say I am so in awe of what you and your colleagues at MIDI Health are doing. It's such important work, healing work, caring work, clinical care work, really, really just admire and respect you so much and, and so grateful for you taking this on and being a leader in this new category of care. Let me give you one last word, if there is one. Any, any final thoughts? No, look, I appreciate that. This is the most rewarding work I could imagine doing. It's, it's incredibly rewarding because Women are coming to us really having struggled for a long time and being able to help them and being able to pretty quickly figure out what's going on and, and help them feel better is, is incredibly rewarding. So I just feel really lucky to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, my friends, I'm going to bring the podcast to a close. I want to thank our guest today, Joanna Strober, the founder and CEO of MIDI Health. And as I do every episode, I'd like to conclude by thanking all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients and those of you who are supporting those who are taking care of patients. I and we so, so truly appreciate you for what you do, recognize how critically important your work is to individuals, to families, to our communities and our society at large. This is Zeb Newworth on creating a new healthcare. My friends, until next time, be safe and be well.